I think if something's worth saying, then it's probably worth remembering, right? If it was ever worth saying, if anybody ever said anything that's worth us remembering, but if it's worth remembering, then it's worth repeating. Because right? that's how things sink in. And if something is worth repeating, then it's worth writing. And that's the logical chain of thought that I have for us for this morning. If it's not worth saying, let's just not say it. But if there's something worth saying, that's worth hanging on to. And writing is not, in my opinion, an accidental evolutionary development of the human race. Writing is something that God has given us in the same way that he's given us speech. He's given us more capacity for communication and speech than any other of his creation because he wants us to use that. And if we think that God didn't intend for that speech to eventually be recorded, then we're ignoring the fact that God specifically chose things like tablets to be carved on and a Bible to be recorded. And we're saying those things are accidental. Those happened to come along. Good thing writing was invented so that God could have some way of communicating his message to people. That's not how God works. God's outside of time. So he didn't wait for a printing press to say, oh, good, now I can print stuff for people. He's like, here's my plan. I want to communicate it to all people for all time. And since Christ is going to appear in a very specific place for a very limited period of time, I'm going to choose speech and, more importantly, writing to communicate it. And so I see God's providence in writing. I see it as an intentional design by him, not something accidental along the way. And if so, then this is a tool that God has given us. And in our culture where it's being minimized and where we're losing our skills in writing and where the kind of writings that we find aren't even real writings because they're, they're impulsive when writing is supposed to be thoughtful and they're reactionary when it should be formative or what, like all these things we're talking about. I would love for us as Christians to have a corner on the market for what writing is meant to be and seeing it as a God-ordained gift to us. And maybe even a God-commanded requirement of us. So if I can stretch us at all in that direction, I would be thrilled. This is as much for me as for any of you. I do a lot of writing every week when it comes to sermons. So I don't just stand up and like, oh, what did I think on Tuesday? I don't know. What did I think on Thursday afternoon? I have no idea. So my writing finds that form. But I'm not very good at the quick card. And I think it's because I want it to be intentional. And so it's too daunting to me to feel like I need to sit down and really put thought. I don't like saying, love you, Dave. That feels like I shouldn't have written that because it's not enough. So like, all right, what's a thought? Where's that person at? What would be meaningful? You know, the thoughtfulness is almost a deterrent. So for me and if any who are like me, let's push that to the side. Let's go past the deterrent, the times, you know, painstaking nature of just committing to that. And with your best penmanship possible, let's become letter writers and see it as a spiritual discipline. We think that prayer is a spiritual discipline. Why? Because God calls us to. Well, are we not called to communicate his love to others? And he's the only way we can do that with our words. What if we're not really good off the cuff? What if we're not a good debater? What if someone says something, we don't know how to come up with an answer on the spot. And then five minutes later, we're driving away like, oh, why didn't I think to say that? That's like the prime opportunity for pen and paper. I love you, and this was on my heart, and I was thinking about this, and here's a Bible verse, or here's something from me to you. Because that's how God has chosen to communicate to us. He's chosen to use writing as a way to recall, remind us, teach us. We wouldn't have the faith that we have if all the deeds of the Lord hadn't been recorded over the years. 
We would know only what we've experienced of him in our lifetime. And what a shame that would be if we couldn't go back and remember Moses and the Red Sea. If we couldn't go back and remember Jesus and the feeding of thousands of people. from Like, that's because of the written word. And so our faith is based upon the written word and then the experiences that we have. And why should all of our experiences be lost? Why can't they be things that get passed on? Continuation of God's story. If something's worth saying, I think it's worth remembering. If it's worth remembering, it's worth repeating. If it's worth repeating, it's worth writing. The written word should be a cure for impulsive speech, which feels like something our world needs. So by practicing this, getting good at this, we may be part of an antidote to all the impulsive speech that happens out there. The written word should be a cure for shallow conversation. Because when you don't have time to think of something, you might not have something interesting to say. But that doesn't mean you don't have something interesting to say, you just don't have it right then. This should be a cure for just talking about the weather all the time. Because if you can sit down with pen and paper and write a letter to someone, record a story, journal, whatever it may be, whatever outlet you find, you are digging deeper for the things that you want to discuss and pass on. Um, it can make a difference. It can make a difference. So the Bible is our prime example. Um, for those of you that have gone through any discipleship classes here at New Hope, uh, you know that part of the curriculum is uh, going through kind of how the Bible was formed, how we got it. So I just couldn't help but have all these things come back to my mind. I don't know which of you know this or don't know this, but let me throw some things out to you about this Bible, this written word of God, that maybe are a reminder, maybe you don't know. How many different authors are there within our 66 page collection. Do we know? 40. Over 40. So over 40 people wrote the Bible collection that we have. And the Bible's not actually a book, it's a library. So when you talk about the Bible, think of it as a library. This is collected from this era, and this is collected from this era. How long is that collection process? When, did it, when it started to when it ended, this Bible that we hold, this library of God's deeds and truth? How long? 1,500, 1500 years of collected truth about God including, most importantly, Christ, but leading up to that and then after that as well. So we have this collection of writings, written words that span 1,500 years, over 40-plus authors, at least three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. There's some Roman words thrown in, but, you know, um, those three languages we find in Scripture happen from an ancient Near Eastern cultural context all the way through the height of the Roman Empire. And we've proceeded through the dissolving of that and the scattering of this. This Bible has what types of literature in it? This library, this poetry. Poetry can be the words of God, right? All of our psalms, songs to sing about the Lord. Gospels, biographies, that's in the library. Prophecies, things that were said to happen like in the book of Daniel and then hundreds of years later happened with Jesus. Prophecies are written in this library. And because they were written, then hundreds of years later, when all those people had died off, the children of the children of the children of those people could be like, hey, this is written. Not, I think I remember a great, great, great so-and-so saying this, but look, just look at the page. This is amazing. This is happening right now. Maybe Jesus is the one who was prophesied. Because all the stuff that we see on the paper is just happening right now. We have prophecies. We have revelations. We have poetry. We have histories. 
We have laws. We just have words of God. God appeared to people at time and said, write this down. And then they wrote it down. How amazing is that? The Bible is the most amazing book ever written. And it always will be. There will never become a book that is more important to society, to culture, to human history than this. our calendars are based off of the life of Christ. Our histories are based off of it. Like our countries and our, our religions and how the entire world has been shaped. That will never be undone. So there will never be a more influential book. And that's not accidental. That's God's choice. He's choose, chosen to pass it on in the written word. You know, Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. When you have something from God, you then hold it and then you look around and it puts everything else into perspective. Like, oh, this is you, God. Now, where do I see you in my world? Who are you? Where do I see you in my life? We have letters straight from people to people, like the, the letters of Timothy, 1st and 2nd Timothy. That's just from a mentor to a mentee about how to be a good pastor. So one-to-one. We have general letters to whole churches, Paul writing to Corinth or Ephesus, like, hey, read this aloud. This is good for your whole church. We have all of these types of writings. And I hope that as you think about these things, when we get to the end, I'll try to challenge you with a few specific ways we might be able to put this into practice. But um, be thinking about which of these you might be called to write. Because I think that I would like to challenge us to be authors, co-authors with God. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures to you. And um, there are different types of writing that we find in scripture, which therefore become different types of writing that we could participate with God. But the whole context of this conversation is I'm talking about like spiritual writing. There is a difference between writing a fiction novel and writing something that the Lord leads you to write. So if we're going to practice any kind of spiritual discipline of writing, it has to be rooted in God. Because we could just as easily sit and write something to someone that does a lot of damage or is really insignificant. But when God puts his words into it and God leads us to put his words on paper, now all of a sudden you have something very dynamic. Uh, at the service for Neil Pino, um, there was a tract that he was famous for handing out and they had them in the foyer so you could take one, you could pass it out. And, and when we were on our way out, we flipped it over and someone realized that it was a Billy Graham rooted track. So that's where it got its origin. But that, that's been around for a while then. Billy Graham is now passed on to glory, but this thing that he wrote somehow consolidated truth about God in such a way that it's still helpful. So if you don't think that that track was inspired by God, you don't understand how inspiration works. <laughs> God puts something meaningful into our lives and it has staying power. And that's why one of the many convincing proofs we have of Scripture, it would have long since been forgotten just like all the other ancient literature, except it's not forgotten. It's still alive and still going. So can I give you some examples here of scriptural writing, spiritual writing? It's really co-authorship. God putting words in a heart and you, putting them on paper. Uh, the first one's Moses and God. Right? From Exodus 32, it says, Moses turned and he went down from the mountain with two tablets of testimony in his hand, tablets written on both sides, on the front and the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God, the writing was the writing God, engraved uh, on the tablets. A couple of chapters later, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Write these words in accordance with the words, because I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. Moses was there with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. 
neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the writings of God. So right there is God's words and Moses' words, because in three sentences before it says these are God's writings, and the very next sentence, well, Moses is the one that wrote down God's writings. That's the concept of inspiration of Scripture. Um, 2 Timothy talks about this. All Scripture is God-breathed. Inspired means breathed out. By God. So when God sort of like breathes a moment of inspiration into a musician, they, they have those experiences. I just saw some video, I forget who it was by uh, this past week, um, where someone was saying like, they had um, the entire scope uh, uh, music and lyrics and whatever for an entire play, a dramatic production, come to them in like the space of a few days and they just couldn't stop writing. And it was for God, it was for His glory, it was this like, very spiritual experience they had. Maybe you've had a moment like that where you sit down and just thoughts are coming to you and you don't know from where. Well, God breathed life into us to give us life in the beginning. That's the Genesis story. But our words and our thoughts, God continues that process and he breathes into us. And spiritual writing has that feeling to it. There are some weeks where I'll write down thoughts and I'm typing on my computer because my penmanship is atrocious. So I wouldn't be able to read what I wrote. So this has to be typed for me. But as I'm putting my thoughts down, I'm like, I don't know where that thought came from, but I love that. I don't know. I, why did I think of that? How did, like, it's not me. It's just you're, you're open and in a moment saying, God, please tell me what you want me to say. In a way, it's a lot like the, the good practice uh, Lectio Divina, Divina where we, um, we read scripture waiting for God to say something to us. I hope you practice this. When you read the Bible, you sit down to it, and you don't just read, like, oh, that was cool. And like, all right, before I open a page or before I start reading, Holy Spirit, please tell me, Anything you want to through what I'm about to read. And then you read through the thing a couple times, just sort of open-mindedly. What am I supposed to receive from this? And then you pray again. All right, Holy Spirit, what is it that you want to say to me? And without fail, God wants to communicate through his scriptures. So you're just asking for what he wants to give you. You start to have ideas. You start to have insights into things. You start to make connections between things. And so this process of writing, I'm asking for the same thing from us. The spiritual discipline of writing on God's behalf, needs God to be the author of it. So before you sit down to that next card that you're going to write to someone, say a prayer. God, please give me your words. And I guarantee you're going to find the things that come out of your pen are not what would have uh, if you had not prayed that prayer first. So Moses and God were co-authors. Uh, in Scripture, parents and God are supposed to be co-authors. This is Deuteronomy 6. God said, the words that I commanded to you today shall be on your heart. Moses speak on behalf of God to the nation of Israel. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Shall talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Shall bind them as signs on your hands, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So where is scripture written on your house? Because we're supposed to be talking about it as a family, but it's also supposed to be plastered on our walls. How are we evident to the people that will walk by? What paintings do we have? What scriptures? What chalkboard wall can you scribble on? What whiteboard can you put something on? What mirror can you tape something on? Because this is not supposed to be forgotten. This is worth remembering. God said it. It's worth remembering. And writing is the way that we get reminded so easily. So parents, what do you want your kids to know? Do we want our kids to leave our house just being able to like make their bed or, I don't know, clean up after themselves. I'd rather that my kids are terrible at making their beds and cleaning up after themselves, but leave our house knowing that God loves them, knowing they're made in his image, knowing he's got plans for them, knowing about his grace, like those things. So what in our house could reflect that? What in their rooms can reflect that? What in our living room can be on the wall? 
we all have stuff in our houses. Is that a spiritual choice or is it just aesthetic? Here, the Bible's saying parents and God are supposed to be co-authors. So you sit down, you pray, all right, God, what do my kids need to see and read to tell them who they are and who you are? Boom, light bulb, great idea. Write it down, paste it, print it, put it on the wall. Like, that's it. That's a spiritual practice that we can participate in, and it doesn't seem optional here. Moses is commanding it, so I pass it on to us as parents as a command from the Lord. Write his law and his love on the walls of our houses. Uh, leaders and God, uh, Deuteronomy 27, that when you go across to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, set up large stones, plaster them with plaster, and write on them the words of the law. So go the places that we go and put God's word there. Um, we've had conversations that in the uh, 49 Main Street, I'd like to put a, a plaque on the front of the facade, whatever the facade is looking like, brick or whatever, but um, some sort of plaque that says... Um, Soli Deo Gloria, and then in Roman numerals 2022, all for the glory of God. You see that in many older buildings, but we're establishing something in God's name. It doesn't need to say, hey, we're a church, because we're not, but a building can be dedicated to the Lord. So when you go to a place, do you leave your stamp on it? This building, when it was, the foundation was poured, there was a Bible wrapped in plastic and put in so that the Bible could be, or the building could be kind of built on the Word of God, founded, so it's symbolic, but it's really meaningful to us. There's no Bible in that foundation yet. <laughs> we got plenty of holes in the basement to just stick a Bible in. There's like no worry for that. We're absolutely going to do that. We're going to have a dedication ceremony at some point. We're going to dig a hole. We're going to put in the Bible. And we're going to cement it over and we'll just be there until the building gets torn down or Jesus comes or whichever comes first. When we go places, do we set up camp? Do we set up memorials? Do we set up testimonies? That's spiritual writing. A little plaque on the front of the building that people don't even know what the Roman words mean or Roman numerals mean. It's okay. It can be subtle, it can be overt, but it's putting God's stamp on the places we go. This is co-authoring. It's written word. Otherwise, we'd have to have some of us volunteer to stand outside the center 24 hours a day. Sola Dea Gloria, Sola Dea Gloria. So we could, we could say it to everyone who walks by. Or if it's worth saying, it's worth remembering, it's worth repeating, it's worth writing, maybe you just put it on the wall and let it speak for itself. It's co-authorship. It's beautiful that God would ask us to co-author his words, bring them into permanence, into repetition, into other people's lives. Uh, musicians are co-authors with God. Uh, Deuteronomy 31. Um, now, therefore, write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me. Cool. Cool. Write songs and put God's word in other people's mouths that it may be a witness to him. All of our musical artists in the room this morning that have written songs, that's something you get to co-author with God. It's also something that can be done really poorly. So take the time. Let it be inspired. Let God co-author with you so his word can go out. Uh, the youth are co-authors with God. My son, keep my words. Treasure up my commandments with you. This is Proverbs 7, 1 to 3. Bind them on your fingers and write them on the tablets of your heart. As I said before, all the prophets were co-authors with God. Jeremiah is an example of this with uh, Jeremiah 30, with God and Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words I have spoken to you. For behold, the days are coming. Dot, dot, dot. All the prophecy. You know, would the people in Jesus' time have known how many things lined up with him? 
I heard once the, the mental picture, and I like this one, of all the prophecies that point to the Messiah and how they were all fulfilled in Christ. The odds of all of those things happening in one person's life the way they did in Christ would be the same odds as like filling the entire state of Texas a foot deep with quarters and marking one with an X and putting it anywhere in the state and putting someone on the border of there with a blindfold and having them walk for as long or as short as they want to pick down and pick up a quarter and have it be the one with the X on it. Like that's the odds of all these things that were predicted hundreds of years ago coming to pass in one person in Christ. There aren't odds for it. That can't happen. It's impossible. So the fact that it did happen gives us confidence in our faith. But we wouldn't have that same confidence if those prophecies hadn't been written down. But they were, because God wanted them to be, because they were inspired, and people co-authored with God. Um, all the apostles were co-authors, right? They wrote down their experiences with Jesus in John 21. Uh, John writes, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are many, also many other things Jesus did, and were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So we don't have everything that Jesus did and said, but we have our writings about what Jesus did and said. They've been able to be maintained through history so we can look back and know what Jesus said and did. What an honor that is, how we benefit from that, how we should participate in that. There's so many others. I don't want to read 10,000 ones to you. I want to make the point, and I want to let it sit. Peter wrote it this way, 2 Peter 1, 16. Peter, the one who walked on water. Peter, the one who denied Jesus three times. Peter, the one who was restored. Peter, the one who was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, one of the first called. Peter, the fisherman. He says, we did, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him from the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice. For we were with him on that holy mountain. And we have the word of the prophets more fully confirmed, to which you, I think we should hear this, to which we would do well to pay attention to, like a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this of first importance, that no prophecy of Scripture came from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Like This is why I love the Bible so much. Because you're hearing men writing what God gave them as they were in the Spirit. And it carries a different weight. I had an interesting conversation with someone this past week about books that are not included in our, our Bible. Right? You wonder, like, what about those other books? We have the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Maybe you've heard about the Gospels of Barnabas or the Gospels of Thomas, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. There's other writings at that time. Um, I think you should try to read all those. And then after having read those, see if they hold a candle to what inspired Scripture stands, sounds like. You feel it. You feel the difference. 
Have you written just a, or read rather, a novel from a master writer? And you're like, ooh. And then you read a cheap novel and you're like, eh. There's something that's conveyed in the power of words that speaks to the, the content of the author, the mentality of the place of the author. And scripture it takes that to the millionth degree. I actually found as I read some of these things through seminary that it made me more confident in Scripture. I'm like, I am so glad they did not put the Gospel of Barnabas in the pages of my Bible. That thing is trash. That's awful. Like, I would look at my Bible and be like, oh, well, it's not a great book, but you know, it's okay. But you skim out these things that weren't inspired, and what you're left with is stuff that matters. The Word of God is living and active, right? And that's how God's word is opposite to us. Our words are alive first in our mouth and then get put on paper. God's like, hmm, watch me flip this. I'm going to put something alive on paper. When you read it, it's going to come to life for you. God is the creator. We're the receivers. So that's why it's so beautiful when you can co-author with him because it usually works the other way around. You read pages of scripture and it comes alive to you because there's something alive in it. And it was a person carried by the Holy Spirit. I have such a love for that Bible and such confidence in it. And for those that, that get curious or nervous about the Bible, is it true? Has it been passed on accurately? Like, explore it. Because I bet the more that you read about it, the more you realize, wow, look at all that's gone into preserving this literature. Look at how the copies that we have now compare so closely to the originals. And these little places where they're different are not issues of consequence. I like grammar, not content. I, I love this word, and I hope that you do too, and I hope you recognize it's like the ultimate example of spiritual co-authorship. But that does not mean it's the only thing that should ever be written for God. And so here's where I would like us to think about it on our own behalf. Is there someone in your life, perhaps, that you need to co-author a letter of instruction to? Maybe you have a child. Maybe you have someone you're mentoring or discipling. Do you feel like maybe God wants you to sit quietly with a blank paper and a pen and consider what you could pass on to them that would be kept? Or is there someone in your life maybe that's grieving and the Holy Spirit today is going to put on your heart to write a letter of condolence? And instead of just, I'm sorry for your loss, you're going to sit with that Holy Spirit and you say, Dear Spirit, you know this person from the inside out. You know them better than I do. What would you like to say to them? And then you sit quietly until the thoughts come and then you write them with confidence and you send it. And see what God can do with that letter. Maybe that will be you this week. Or maybe an encouragement, a letter of encouragement. Can you co-author some words of encouragement? Not just, you got this, buddy, or I love you. Because that's speech and it's good. But if it's worth saying, it's worth being reminded of and it's worth hanging on to. It's worth being able to look back when you're sad and need encouragement 10 years from now because that tangible word of God through us to others has power in it, has lasting power. Maybe you'll write a letter of friendship to someone who's lonely. Do you know anybody who's lonely? I do. And I think I'm guilty of not reaching out to comfort that loneliness and, and be a part of solving that loneliness more than I do. Here's like the secret. If you write a letter, you get to like, you get bonus reminders. Like you don't just call them and it's done. You wrote the letter to encourage someone who's lonely and they'll be encouraged every time they read the letter. So one letter is worth like 10 calls or maybe a thousand calls depending on how, someone's lo how lonely someone is. All right, Holy Spirit, what is the word for the lonely? 
How about a word of gratitude to someone who's been generous to you? All of us are recipients of generous people. We would not be where we are if it weren't for generous people in our lives. Have we said it? Good. Mandatory. Have you written it? Maybe even better. It's been a long time since. What would that mean to that person to be reminded of your gratitude years later? Write the letter. Co-author that letter with the Holy Spirit. What about a letter of confession? Sometimes these are in order. I'm really sorry for that thing that I said. And instead of me texting it to you, don't text those things. It wrecks it. It wrecks it. If it's something meaningful, it's face-to-face. -face. If it's something painful, it's face-to-face. -face. If you have to use a phone, at least it's your real voice. Um, but letter has a unique opportunity. You're putting in writing, permanent record, you did something wrong and you feel badly about it and you're asking for their forgiveness. It's a powerful means of confession. But also you might need to write a letter of forgiveness to someone. Maybe it wasn't you who did something. But you're kind of still bitter about the thing that was done to you. Sometimes a therapist who you know far more about interpersonal relationships than I would even advocate uh, writing the letter but not mailing it at times. Or perhaps there's a person who's deceased and you can't mail them the letter, but still write it. Write it and burn it. But the writing act can be really a beautiful thing and, and sometimes for us to be free we have to forgive. You can say it, but writing takes it to a whole nother level, especially if that forgiveness letter is co-authored by the Spirit as you're being carried along by the Spirit. That's amazing, amazing stuff. And we can participate in that. A couple more. A couple more. Maybe you need to write a love letter. There's a handy-dandy holiday coming up on Tuesday. You might want to implement this. Maybe these thoughts will make it the best Valentine's Day card you've ever written. And why not? Why not be inspired by God's love for us in how we write a Valentine's Day card so that it comes across more than just, you're cool, but comes across with some of God's love for a person or how he sees them. Like, that's good. That's good stuff. That's a tip for those who are interested in hearing right there. Do that. Um, two more. And again, there's a million ways, but if you look at Scripture, there's countless examples of how God's Word can be written and impact. So I want us to make this 2023 tangible. Uh, write down a story, maybe, so it won't be forgotten. Michelle and I want to do this for the story of the center. We keep talking about it, but the longer that we go past it, we're going to start forgetting stuff. So we probably just need to get on that while all the thoughts are still fresh and while we're still in the moment. But I'd love to tell that story in the future, but I'll forget it. You know me. You know her. We'll forget it. I know you. We'll forget. And that's okay. But the written word has the possibility of preserving God's deeds for the future. Something can be read. Can we just put it into writing? I hope so. Maybe there's a story about your dad, Sharon, that you'd like to write down. So that while we're thinking of all the stories and they're fresh in our minds, that they could be there on paper for 5, 10, 20 years from now, whatever it may be. Like, oh yeah. Remember write down those cool stories about Dad and just bring them out again and let him inspire us again <laughs> the way he did so much yesterday and, and from what I'm hearing through his entire life. And the last one that I could suggest, and it's just what I can come up with off the top of my head, so I'm sure there's a million more. Uh, what if you write down a pledge to someone that you're committed to? That's just a promise. 
a little bit different if you write something down than if you just say to them, oh, I got that, or I'll do that. But if you write something to someone, it's kind of like the idea of an IOU. I promise you that I will. I pledge to you that I can. I promise you that I, I will try. Those are, those are writings, and the writing takes it to a whole nother level. So I'm encouraging us to become co-authors with God. And in all of these things, we're just experimenting, right? We're experimenting with these spiritual disciplines. I kind of wish that writing was more widely regarded as one of these spiritual disciplines because it takes discipline. It can communicate the words of God. We've got to draw, God, draw near to God in order to be able to do it. It's how we have our faith transmitted to us through writing. So like, it's actually a very powerful thing, but you might not find it in lists of disciplines, which are prayer, fasting, meditation, confession, worship, these sorts of things. I encourage us to be willing to consider adding it to the list of options for ways that we can live out our faith. And even if the whole world just goes digital on us, and no one ever writes another letter other than Christians, but if Christians decide that this is a way that God has chosen to communicate with us, and so therefore important for us to model after him and to continue, wouldn't mind Christians getting the reputations of being the letter-writing ones. So I think it would have a lasting value that would make an impact and continuously make an impact. Everything we say goes, but everything you write sticks around. And there's just, if that could be for God, how powerful could that be? I feel the Holy Spirit wants me to share this. Good. The most powerful experiment I did was probably back at Cornell, mm. where we were challenged, what are the things we think God couldn't forgive us for? Ooh, yeah. Write that yeah. down and burn that. Mm. And I can go back to that. Mm. You know, 100 years later now, yeah. and I remember <laughs> that so vividly. That there were things mm. in graduate school that were holding me back. Mm. Mm. And so to write it down mm. and burn it, mm. it was gone. Mm. I knew that God had forgiven, but Amen. that act of writing mm. made all the difference. It's different. It just is. And even if we can't quite put our finger on exactly why, it's different. And I guess maybe that could be what we could end on. Like, maybe write a letter to God this week. Help, have him help you co-author what you need to say to him. And that could be a lot of value in that, just sitting with the Lord and writing something to him, having him help you find the words to say to him. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that. This is all I have to give you this morning. But I would like you to think about it together for just a few minutes before we close in communion. So could you huddle up with the five closest people around you and if there's a specific one of these thoughts, feel like that's something I want to think on more, or if there's an example you could share, let's just personalize this before we come to the communion table. So just a couple of minutes here at the end. Please find your five people and figure out what form of spiritual writing God might be prompting you to want to consider. <laughs>